going to try to convince me to save the world. Some of our ideas are a bit ambitious. I know how hard this is for you to hear. Government should be afraid of their people. You got the makings of greatness in you. What we do in life echoes in eternity. If you could see your whole life from start to finish. We would be given a choice to betray our chosen destinies. I have to believe in a world outside my own mind. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Love is the one thing that transcends dimensions of time and space. Are you watching closely? Welcome, my beautiful, wonderful listener, to the Talking About Talking podcast, where we talk about everything and anything, and we talk about talking about those things. Today, I am joined by Ghislaine Jutre. Did I get that? Did I, did I get it? Yeah, okay. Just, yeah. So, <laughs> Ghislaine is, uh, he was a teacher of organic farming for 15 years at a university and a technical college in the province of Quebec. Thank you for joining me, Gigi. My pleasure. Thanks. Invite. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, it's my understanding that you are currently managing or organizing some sort of farming community now that you're no longer teaching. Yeah. Well, I've been doing this uh, all the time for the past twenty years, but now I'm devoting more time to this part of uh, my time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, can you explain to me what 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 that means, like a farming community? Because in my mind, farming is something you kind of do, just like if you have a little bit of land or something, you just do that yourself. Doesn't seem like a team thing. So, can you? elaborate on how that works for me yeah well the community let's say it's all the farmers organic farmers especially the one that produce uh, vegetables that are spread out all over the province of quebec and a little bit more some in ontario and new brunswick and we all work together to exchange our experiences so we evolve like just one big farm uh, instead of people isolated in each part of their uh, on their own land so yeah the community is uh, built bridges between all these peoples so that the information and the motivation uh, flows all around the, the province and a little bit over okay so you guys basically share strategies on how to more effectively yield crops and take care of different problems that come up that kind of thing yeah that's the technical part but we also exchange a lot of things on politics and social uh, experience on the farms and so it's 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 technical economic and social uh, at the same time okay interesting and i have found personally that with the pandemic i had a immense increase in my desire to grow my own food because of well as everyone knows the supply chain issues and all the problems at the grocery stores have you noticed a pattern since the pandemic of people showing more interest in that uh yeah uh, i have some friends that uh, started the school or online program about uh, growing you know your own produce or vegetables and fruits and uh from what they told me uh, they had a lot of increase in their subscriptions that's one thing and many people around me talking about it people i mean i'm involved into farming uh, since i'm 12 years old so uh, I'm surrounded with a lot of people that this for their like living, mm -hmm. uh, but the rest of the people surrounding me are family and friends that they don't own land. Um, and these people, a lot of them, yeah, were asking were asking me questions. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking to start a garden this year, you know, because of the pandemic. So could you help me? Uh, and uh, so so that kind of thing. So yeah, I've seen a growing interest for for uh, kind of a. 
uh, growing vegetables, uh, like kind of a homesteading style. Yeah, growing your own food so that you're not as reliant on the system kind of thing. You said you've been farming since you were 12. Yeah, I've started to work on farms when I was 12 years old. So I grew up in the city of Quebec, Quebec City, uh, in the suburb area. And uh, my parents were not to the farming. Uh, they were not farmers themselves. They, 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 they grew up on farms, but you know, as many people in the 60s and 70s, these uh they moved from the country to the the cities and uh, that was the case of my parents and most of my uncle and aunts and uh, I have a bunch of them I have like about 20 uncle and aunts big family mm. and out of these 20 people on just only one uh, is a farmer so my only link to farming was this one uncle uh, that I was visiting uh, during Christmas time once a year so until 12 years old that was my uh, only link farming but uh, <clears throat> one day my parents they they uh, uh, decided to uh, participate in a uh, like a, a community task on a farm. So they brought me there, and just for one day, we we went there to help the farmers. And I really liked that. So I was 12 years old at that time, and I told my parents, oh, "I'd like to repeat this experience." So uh, there were no, there was another farmer attending the same event, and he heard me saying that. So he said, hey, "You can come to my farm, and uh, it, 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 we we like to have uh, people helping." And so I I said, "Okay." Okay, let's go. So I started with one week and a year later, three weeks and a year later, uh, full summer. And so I spent most of my uh, teenager summers uh, working on that specific farm and that led me later on to study it at the university to become an agronomist and later on farmer and later on a teacher so that's that's how it's all uh, that's how joined. it's all come to be yeah yeah that's awesome i love that that's that's cool i like that it's you getting into it without having land or a farm of your own it, because i've heard of people around here that say let's uh, silence that I, i've heard of people around here that say you can't get into farming unless you have land and I mean, technically, there is some truth to that, but also that uh, I love that you're kind of showing that you can learn it without having land, that you can get experience without having lands. That's awesome. You you also mentioned when we spoke previously that you traveled around the five continents. Yes, I did. So how did how does that come to be? Uh, well, that's mainly uh, because of my farming activities uh, or experience, I would say. So, well, first it started at the university. So I did... Uh, like an apprenticeship in Guatemala, 99. And uh, for three months, I went there just to learn about what's uh, what we call international cooperation or international so solidarity. And I spent three months working with uh, coffee, organic coffee producers. It was a project of the Canadian government um, in Guatemala uh, to restructure the economy of this region that was uh, affected by uh, about 30 years of war uh, in, in Guatemala. And after that war, uh, uh, Guatemala received help from different countries to uh, try to rebuild the economy. And in that region, specific region at the north of Guatemala, uh, there were a lot of like coffee production. So I got introduced in international cooperation uh, in that specific project. Where, living and working with uh, small coffee organic 
producers. And I really liked this experience. So when I finished my um, studies in agronomy, I applied to another uh, kind of experience like that for a longer time, almost a year in DR, Dominican uh, Republic, working with small producers uh, with uh, vegetables and fruit productions. And later on, I kept uh, doing this, like, because I've done it before, some people know about it. So because I was speaking French, English and Spanish, uh, you know, it was a good... Uh, good to be multilingual. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when people, well, organization in Quebec uh, organize trips and projects, they try to uh, find people that can speak uh, these languages. So I had experience in traveling, experience in farming, organic farming, and I could speak Spanish too. So most of my experience were in Latin America, but later on, uh, just before the pandemic, I was asked to participate in a project uh, uh, that was happening in Bolivia, Peru, and Burkina Faso in Africa. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, there's you, a bunch. You ended up all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I find it interesting as someone who is uh, unilingual. I only speak English. I know a little bit of German, but not enough to really get me by. I find it fascinating, the idea of teaching, because I'm a, I'm a personal trainer, so I teach. I teach people how to move, and I got to use language a lot to do that. And the idea of teaching in another language is just so far beyond my comprehension, because it's difficult enough for me to consider communicating like an order at a restaurant in another language, let alone to try and teach someone something. So I'm I imagine your your French is much stronger than your English, but where does your Spanish fall on that scale compared to your French and English? Uh, would I feel more comfortable in Spanish than English. Interesting. Yeah. So then what did you find? Do, did you find then that, I mean, I see uh, the answer seems almost obvious, but I'm curious if there wasn't much of a difference. When you were in situations where you needed to use English to teach people farming, did you find the process was slower, clunkier? And when you got to use Spanish or French, it was faster and more efficient and you, it felt easier for you? Yeah. Well, my last uh, experience uh, teaching farming in English in 2017, I spent uh, almost a year on the West Coast um, in Washington State uh, working at the Organic Farm School. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can remember that it was, um, I had to think more about my words and um, uh, it's, you know, in Spanish, maybe because it's a little bit closer uh, within the Latin root uh, language. Uh, the structure of the sentences and words and the structure of ideas. I don't know. I felt like it was uh, yeah easier doing it in Spanish than English. Um, it's just so fascinating to think about to me because, like I said, I only know one language. So, I mean, good, good on you to be able to at least still succeed in the teachings when it comes <laughs> uh, to different languages. Uh, our, our mutual friend Yao mentioned that you have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, that's the last project I started with a bunch of other people. So we're more than 40 people so far being involved in the Wiki Maraîcher. So Wiki for, Wiki, not for Wikipedia, because Wikipedia is one oh, Wiki. Right, right. Uh, so Wiki, the definition of a Wiki is a collaborative uh, website. Let's say that. Uh, so we we use the same uh, software as Wikipedia because Wikipedia programmed a, um, a software called MediaWiki for their own own purpose, and but they uh, offer it 
for free. Uh, it's open source uh, software. So we were able to use the same software as Wikipedia to start our own wiki about organic vegetable collection. So maraîcher in wiki maraîcher, maraîcher it's the word for uh, vegetable collection. Uh, it comes from the word marais. Uh, well, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this wiki is essentially a conglomeration of information on farming then and different strategies and such. Yeah, um, you know, as we were talking at the beginning of the interview, uh, our community has been sharing a lot of information for mm -hmm. the past 20 years and more, uh, mainly through, um, like gatherings and uh, email, uh, like a, a listserv, so email list. But we were ready to, uh, uh, to create a memory of like all our exchanges. And uh, this wiki, one purpose of this wiki is to create a, a collective memory, as well as a way to keep uh, exchanging uh, information uh, about technical stuff, social and economic, as we mentioned earlier. When, if one of our, our listeners here would like to check out your wiki, where would they go? Uh, Wikimaraichet.ca. Uh, oh. So, uh, <laughs> how do you spell that? Yeah, W W I K I. Wiki yeah. and Maraichet. It's M A R A I C H E R. dot C A or Canada. Okay, awesome, perfect. That's you. Now, if anyone wants to check that out, get some sweet farming tips, they can go do that. That's yeah, good. It, it, it's all in French, but nowadays you Google can translate. Exactly. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, it's no problem. A lot of technical words, so yeah, it's not poison. You know? <laughs> so you talked about, you keep mentioning economic, political, those kind of variables. Sure. I, find, I find that interesting because that's not really anything I would have thought much about. Well, economic, yeah, but political, are, are you talking about like legislation changes that affect farming or what do you mean by political variables when it comes to farming? Uh, yeah, well, there are different kinds of ways that farmers are impacted by the politics. Uh, one of them are the different programs that are uh, up for farmers to apply to get money, uh, buy some uh, furniture or to pay their uh, employees. And so these programs sometimes are uh, built out large for any kinds of farms. But when it comes to organic vegetable production, there are some specific things taken account. And so sometimes we find that the programs are well done or not well done or adapt adapted to the situation uh, of, of our types of farms. So talking uh, together about these programs, and so sometimes we can uh, understand it better some, and recommend also uh, some changes as we are organized as a political group or not a political party, but most of us are organized within a cooperative called La Capi, Cooperative for Organic uh, uh, Production and, uh, well, no, let's say, uh, Cooperative for Ecological Farming and Proximity Agriculture. So uh, as we organize within this cooperative, sometimes we can um, uh, talk to people from the government about uh, our ish specific issues. So our listserv and our different events that brings us to communi communicate all together. Uh, you know, that, that um, the consequence is that, you know, if somebody far away in one corner of the province has an issue, he can talk to the other people, like more than 1,000 people are linked within this uh, email list. So if somebody has a problem, his own uh, part of the, the, the province, he can write to the list and ask if 
other people have the same problem. So yeah, it can be a technical problem, a social problem, but when it comes to political problem, uh, I mean, there, there's a, it, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good tool to exchange. And so everybody knows uh, what, what is the experience of other people in other regions. And so we can all join our ideas together and bring it to the cooperative and then bring it to the government. You said email list. So this community that you have, everyone communicates through an email list? Yeah, for the past uh, 15 years, I set up a, a listserv email list that uh, connects us all together because we were already meeting in person, but like twice a year. So between those two meetings a year, we, we needed to stay uh, linked all together. So the easiest way was just to set up an email list and so we started with maybe 40 people and nowadays I think 1,200 uh, addresses. Have you considered other means of communication, like a Slack board or something like that? Uh, I mean, not specifically Slack, but um, a few years ago, um, there was a project to set up uh, another kind of, uh, well, a new t a new tool to communicate. And that needed people to go log in. And uh, uh, anyway, it was not a big, does not require a lot of time to log in on the platform, but it's still longer than just email. Yeah. And so yeah, even with the Wiki Maraîcher, uh, we can communicate communicate with the Wiki Maraîcher. But the goal was not to replace the email list because we already know that this works. So it's like low tech and easy, and so just. In your emails you write and all these emails are um, also uh, archived or mm. I don't know if it's the right word but yep, yep. we can find all the conversation on the server of the listserv so we have a memory of our conversation and it's easy uh, to use so anything more sof sophisticated even though it brings a lot of other possibilities it's still I it mean, also, so far <laughs> yeah also brings a lot of challenges yeah, yeah and I imagine farming community is not necessarily going to be a community of a bunch of tech savvy people. Exactly. And uh, part of the year, like people are so much involved on their farm and for at least six or seven months, you, you need to go to the fastest uh, way of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Quickest, easiest. That makes sense. Yeah. Have you heard of Stefan Subkowiak? Yeah, yeah. 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 I know him personally, but I've heard uh, about what he does. Yeah. I find his work very fascinating this whole idea of like having fruit trees spaced out with nitrogen balancing trees and how these nitrogen balancing trees like locusts or something will have like if, if there's a predator that will come and eat apples and then he has a locust between the apple tree and the next apple tree that locust will house predators to the predators of the apples right that kind of thing okay is there like a, and i don't know is that an accurate way of explaining some of that or is there more to it than that i mean i think the basic principle uh behind that is biodiversity and so we oversimplified the agro ecosystem so like you go around and you see corn and soybean fields all around and just a little row of of trees so that's 
one of the extremes we encounter in our in Canada, for example. Uh, uh, I mean, some ecosystem were designed like that. You go in the prairies, it's normal to see grains and not much trees because the natural ecosystem is that way. And the soils and everything is um, has been working like that centuries, more than that. But in this part of the country, Ontario, Quebec, uh, the, the landscape and the ecosystem, natural ecosystem are a bit different than that. And, but we transform them to uh, corn and soybean. Uh, yeah, some hay and yeah, but still we can say that the biodiversity of our areas have been uh, much more lower than used to be. So any kind of strategies that uh, introduce, reintroduce uh, plants and more biodiversity uh, can help to uh, have an agroecosystem that is more uh, self-reliance uh, so yeah so biodiversity is one of uh, like sustainable agro ecosystem yeah and i find that really fascinating because it's coming to light a lot more lately that monocrop agriculture is just awful for the soil it's awful for the planet it's it's destroying ecosystems it's causing a, an abundance of death in small animals like it's just not a good thing it's good for solving the problem of we have a bunch of freaking people on the planet and we need to feed them all but it's pretty like blinders on to that one problem and causing a bunch of other ones do you see any possible way of us overcoming monocrop agriculture and still feeding everyone well i guess we have to change uh, our uh, eating habits uh, um, that that's one thing you know like why are we growing so i mean it's not just the not we cannot say that it's the fault of the farmers uh, growing corn and beans and you know i mean there's a market for the losers so if the market market asked for more diversity uh, of things that can grow here uh, that that's one key but that's a that's a huge challenge I and mean, it's cultural and it's not something that can change like right away so first we have I guess find a transition systems that uh, we cannot replace soybean and corn right away with another crop so it needs we need a transition period um, and uh, yes yeah, so, but but I I really think that um, it's something that we have to do all together so sometimes yeah we we point we say that ah, that's the fault of the farmers but the farmers they they uh, answer to, to a market they respond to mm -hmm. what's you know like us they want to i mean they practice a uh, economic activity to earn money to make a living same as anybody most of the people in the society um, so if, if if there's a market for more diversity and seasonal products and stuff like that can uh, we can change but uh, it's not something that can happen very fast yeah not not going to happen overnight i find it very interesting these kind of thoughts these big wide-scale change ideas and you're talking about what a lot of people talk about when it comes to those is that like there's supply and demand with this right and if everyone wants these soybeans and corn then they're going to keep producing them in the mass amounts that they're producing them if there was suddenly a ridiculously lowered demand for those things and a raised demand for other things then they would be more inclined to switch over to other things that's essentially what you're saying right yeah 
Well, yeah. giving time, giving the time to learn how to grow those new things, and that's why I say there's a transition period mm -hmm. because uh, growing a new plant needs new knowledge, and uh, and yeah, so it needs to be sustainable uh, for the ecosystem, but also economic and socially. Right. I, I want to touch on that. I don't think what they're currently doing is really sustainable for the ecosystem, and I don't think they really give a shit if it is or not. But <laughs> I want to want to touch on that more the uh, the learning, but also like the idea because this it has to has to happen through perspective where we'll need to there, there needs to be an exchange of information exchange of perspective for some sort of change to happen here right and i when people talk about kind of what you're talking about that is well everyone needs to kind of get together and decide blah 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 it just seems to me like yeah okay but that's pretty freaking high hopes you know and i like to think about people on the upper end of whatever system people that are in whatever kind of power the people that may maybe we're talking about farmers maybe we're talking about people that make the laws maybe we're talking about politicians right and i like to think about well those people can make massive changes with just a few decisions right and so that would be be like what how many people required maybe 100 or 150 people to get together and agree on a few things to move towards something better right as opposed to the entire population just deciding it doesn't like corn syrup anymore like right which is that's probably not going to happen because they're going and buying all that garbage from the grocery store and that's what they're eating so then if it was to happen the other way where it was to happen from the top down rather than bottom up how do you think that could go what kind of thing do you think could be done from people in power that could even even some just uh, little bits of ideas that could maybe get the ball rolling in a better direction like legislation changes or something like that yeah that's a very good question <laughs> yeah but yeah but first you say that okay let's go with that top-down perspective but still will still need to be both together you know of course yeah uh, because you can change something at the top of the pyramid but if the bottom does not what does not want this change it won't work mm -hmm. but yeah you're the thing is that both the bottom and the top has to make changes and what are the changes that can be done at the top um well that, that's i find it a hard question <laughs> that's, the, that's the million dollar question yeah, yeah. Um, let's see yeah. i mean yeah i would dream of policies that would encourage more biodiversity on the land and, uh, and i mean yeah that that's what that's exactly what i was thinking right is because i mean you could provide maybe maybe temporary monetary reward for making a shift because the way i see it is like when you boil it down to the farmers they're gonna want to maintain the same income so you would have to compensate them in some way maybe even just temporarily right to get them to transition to something with more biodiversity wouldn't that make sense yeah um we already have some kind of programs like this uh for example in the organic uh, uh sector you know if when you want to transition uh conventional land to organic farming uh you can get subsidies uh, at least in quebec per hectare for that transition that could be applied to other not just organic but other kinds of practices and uh, actually there is a program in Quebec at this moment called the PAD uh, uh, which encourages conventional farm uh, to adopt more sustainable uh, practices so these kind of things already happen but I guess 
the amount of money given compared to the rest of the budgets, I, I think it's always not sufficient. Uh, so I think there are a lot of good initiatives uh, from, from, from the top and good legislation, but sometimes the problem is the energy and money devoted to that. So if you compare, again, the budget that goes to agriculture compared to other uh, sector of the uh, economy, it's, it's very small. Um, but giving money, I think that can do for a little while, but even though if we increase that money that goes for better practices, uh, we cannot build a system that relies only on subsidies and, and, and laws. It has to go education at the same time uh, because we all know that subsidies, they last for a few years. When the subsidies uh, disappear, usually uh, if the change is not deeper than that, uh, the people were go to their to do the not the easiest but the path of least resistance yeah let's say that way so at the same time education has made its way in parallel to these uh, uh, initiatives uh, le le legislation and subsidies uh, and education together that uh, can move us a little bit further. Yeah, it sounds like overall this problem of monocrop agriculture and destroying the soil and whatever else is going on with all that, based on like kind of the feedback you're giving me and thoughts I had before, it se seems like it's a problem that's only going to be solved by a lot of people taking a hit for the greater good, where like there's going to have to be a lot of people that are in whatever business, whether it's grocery stores or farming or supplying farmers with whatever, anyone in the system is going to have to just take a hit on their income or make them or they're going to have to take on more work or both for the greater good for because this is what's better for the planet. And I just unfortunately find that so hard to believe that that will ever happen at scale without proper without some sort of inspiration without some sort of incentive you know like i just try to think about how could we make shift some sort of incentive that's enough incentive to get enough bull in the system to make that decision and make that sacrifice it, it happened usually when we face a lot of trouble uh, compared to the pandemic, for example. I mean, you know, I wish that we can understand and make these change just by our intelligence. Uh, but uh, I don't know if it's a word in English. Inertia uh, things. Uh, I try. I try to translate it. To, uh, inertia. Oh, inertia. Yeah. Inertia. Inertia. Yeah. Like yeah, things tends to do the same as they were doing yeah. until another force uh, right. interacts. And I mean, if this force is not our intelligence, uh, it's something from outside us that shakes us enough to uh, remind us of how things, uh, you know, I would, let's say that how things are bad, but <laughs> I mean, uh, it's... Yeah, if I may, it, it sounds like you're kind of saying that we kind of just have to wait until a moment of critical mass where we hit a stopping point where like the, the soil is just terrible the soil is just completely annihilated ecosystems are getting absolutely obliterated and like production is being damaged because of that like that they're taking a financial hit or something due to the long-term poor decisions they've made and then at that point we'll all have to get together and make a decision and make something different happen is that kind of where you're going with that yeah uh, it's not very optimistic but <laughs> but <laughs> It's realistic. I mean, yeah, let's just think about our own habits, like small habits we have in our lives. And we want to change a small habit uh, in our life, like how tough 
it can be yeah. if you you bring that at a, a society scale, uh, like large scale, massive scale. You know, it's we kind of need to like, all experience a big event all together to make a big change, mm-hmm. uh, massive change. And I mean, I hope that that there are other mechanisms, and I, actually there are other mechanisms, and and our intelligence uh, makes us uh, like uh, form or uh, organizations that uh, promote uh, organic farming or sustainable practices and um, so like there are a lot of initiatives that uh, try to make things uh, better but for all if we all want to uh, make a change a change all together uh, we all have to have like a shared motivation yeah I, I feel like that. Yeah. And, be wrong. And like, do it for the better of humanity or do it for the planet. Like, that's not a, that's not a good enough shared motivation. That doesn't motivate everyone. That yeah. motivates very few people. And it can mo- mo- motivate us, but it will make us change a few habits in our life. But is that enough to like make a real switch uh, to reverse the climatic change? And, you know, like yeah. those, uh, those big, massive um, uh, issues needs massive change and mm-hmm. massive is a massive amount, amount of people uh, doing a real difference. You mentioned climate change. You've been doing this whole farming thing for a while now. Have you noticed a difference since you started compared to now in you no know, yields or any kind of a- anything to do with farming that might be affected by temperature changes, global temperature change? I mean, my perspective would be like about 20 years of uh, being involved in farming uh, as farmer or teacher and a little bit more if I include my teenagers years, teenager years. But yeah, so this is a very short uh, time lapse mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to the last uh, on which happened the, the changes. So I could tell you that, yeah, in the five past five years, we experienced very drought, um, a lot of drought in, in Quebec, not last summer, but the four other summers before. But, you know, I, I think it's not a scientific uh, observation because those no. change things, you have to look at a wider, uh, yeah. much wider. Uh, so I would prefer to rely on yeah scientific uh, expertise and uh, even though we have local changes and I mean it's always changing there's there are no uh, you can exp- you cannot experience twice the same season on a farm like each season it will be different so in the past 5 years we experienced more problems with uh, running out of water um, so on my time lapse that's what I can see but uh, I would prefer to talk about climate change uh, using the uh, perspective of the scientific community that uh, brings more data for, for a larger yeah. period of time and uh, which proves that something is happening. And But I cannot say that on my life experience, uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of correlated with this general uh, long curve that we can see uh, like it's getting less predictable Let, let's say that okay yep uh, so as a farmer today uh, the extremes are getting a little bit um, further apart further apart yeah yeah that's what i can say uh, the tendency yeah that makes sense yeah it, it seems to me like the whole scientific community on global warming is not exactly settled there's mm-hmm. many people on either side making many of excellent arguments and i try not to act like i know anything when it comes to those things it's just far too complicated of a subject to listen to any amount of experts and come to a conclusion it seems like insanity to me because i don't know how any one individual can collect that much data in their head about the freaking climate of the earth and that over 
however many years and whether or not we're making a difference or how much of a difference we're making and how much of an effect we're making. Oh, it's just, it's a whole bag of cats, that, that climate change thing. Um, with uh, climate change, we're talking about like different temperatures, basically, and a few degrees here and there. And that can make big differences. And I've, I've heard someone say that global cooling would be a lot worse than global warming. That makes sense to me. Uh, makes me think about greenhouses. When it comes to greenhouses, are there limitations on what you grow in a greenhouse or is it all just dependent on the technology that you have um i would say you can pretty much grow anything in a greenhouse as long as you uh bring the lights the heat uh, the water and the nutrients that the plant needs so actually you, you can recreate uh and you could recreate a tropical environment within a, a greenhouse the only thing is how much it costs the society as far as money and energy to do that because uh, you know it, we know that it's possible to recreate those tropical environments in a, a special botanical gardens uh but that's one per city or maybe less mm -hmm. but if we do the same for uh, food production so each farm build uh, a greenhouse uh, that can grow bananas for example uh, all year long i mean it technically it is possible but as far as the energy 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 costs energetic cost of it i an economic cost that comes with it i think it's not a good idea you'd be paying a lot for canadian bananas yeah <laughs> yeah exactly okay. uh, yeah, I have, but, sorry, yeah, yeah but you know my example is a bit of an extreme so uh between on one side growing things just in the field and growing bananas all year long in a greenhouse there's a there are things in the middle mm -hmm. and uh, what, what we see in the past years that is, uh, for example, in Quebec, we grow more uh, like green greens in the greenhouses uh, during the fall, during the spring, and sometimes during the, the, the winter. So we collected more information on different kinds of uh, greens and vegetables like spinach and arugula. And uh, so nothing that you can base all your alimentation, your, your, your foods year like you cannot just eat spinach all mm -hmm. summer uh, all winter long but um, we did some progress in the past years to try to extend the, the season at low cost but this cannot bring enough food uh, fresh for all winter we also need to rely on uh, like cellar or like the the, the okay. roots yeah. And, and other produce that we uh, uh, store to complement with these uh, greenhouse winter production. So can I ask why only greens? Why not root vegetables or fruits or anything like that? Yeah, well, most of the other crops needs uh, much more heat uh, and then it does not, it's not economical to pr produce them. Uh, and it's not just about heat, it's, all, it's about light. You know, we know that the days are shorter during the winter, so most of these plants they don't grow much actually even the greens they uh, grow slow uh, slower uh, during winter uh, we have to plant them like earlier like in the fall so they can still be alive we can harvest from these crops during the winter but actually the, the growth of it it's not uh, very um, uh, fast 
during the, the winter. So the greenhouse becomes more like a freezer, uh, like for these produce, like the greens, uh, they keep their roots, so they, they stay alive, but they don't really grow much. But when we harvest them, they are fresh. Uh, and so it's like the greenhouse becomes a, yeah, a freezer. Uh, yeah, not, not a yeah, fridge, not a freezer, but a fridge, sorry. Excuse me, sorry. So yeah, so the greenhouse is much more like a fridge than a uh, greenhouse during the, the, the winter. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if it was clear enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that makes sense. Um, when people are considering getting into this, like I have a few raised beds. I built some raised beds at my rental property that I'm at. Well, first of all, what's the, is there any benefit to a raised bed versus just throwing seeds in the ground? Uh, well, it depends of your soil texture. So usually when you raise a bed, it will uh, be easier for that slot to uh, drain. You know? But if you already have a soil that drains well, like a sand, sandy soil, you don't want to raise your bed because it's already uh, filtering water very uh, fast. So, but if, if you have more like a loamy clay or a clay soil that are heavy soils, these soils will benefit more from uh, raised beds. So that's that's one uh, advantage of having uh, raised beds to help drainage. Uh, but Some, all, sorry, yeah, yeah. But another thing to take in account is that when you raise a bed, sometimes you take the soil from the alley where, where you walk, mm. you take the soil and you uh, shovel it in the bed. So you increase the topsoil uh, depth. So, so for any kind of texture, sandy or clay soils, uh, if you increase the centimeters or inches of topsoil, that's a good thing. But you already, you already need to you still need to think about drainage. The, so if you raise a sandy soil to a bed, uh, you will have to bring you more irrigation, for example. Okay. When it comes to, you mentioned more clay type soils, that, that seems to me like a lot of what I, it was a couple of years ago, I, I tried making vegetables, growing, growing vegetables and failed miserably. But <laughs> uh, the soil was like really tough clay. And I, as I was like planting everything, I was kind of like, if it's this tough to like physically tough to dig into, isn't that going to affect like the carrot's ability to grow down into the soil and then how do you adjust for something like that like what do you mix in with it i mean any kind of soil sandy or clay soil will benefit uh from adding organic matter uh can be compost or green manure any kinds of uh, organic matter incorporated to the soil will help it. So for a sandy soil, it will help to retain more water because the organic matter is like a, a sponge and it will help to structure the soil because a sandy soil has not a lot of structure. On the other end, you have a clay soil. The organic matter will be helping uh, to make it more smooth, uh, so less heavy uh, because of this same effect of a sponge, uh, not because it retains more water, but because it uh, uh, make more space in the soil, the clay particles, and uh, yeah. So in any case, uh, it's always beneficial to add organic uh, matter. So when you do your crop rotation, uh, even in a small garden, it's a good practice. Includes at least one out of four years uh, just growing uh, green manure: uh, oats, peas, uh, rye, uh, clover, uh, and at the same time, this green manure can bring uh, nitrogen to the soil. They are legumes. Uh, uh, and and also uh, in the same rotation, you fertilize with compost uh, that uh, will be very beneficial for any kind of soil, uh, sandy or clay soil. Okay, let's uh, let's bounce back to your uh, traveling the five continents. Um, what what was did you find was the biggest 
difference, whether it's like a culture shock or a difference of environment or like of all the places you went, what was the one place that made you, uh, I don't know, what I guess was the biggest shock to you overall? Um, well, let's go back in uh, 2018. I was in Bolivia uh, at uh, 4,000 meters high. Uh, I don't know in feet, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite high. Yeah. So oxygen is low. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And I mean, this is a part of the world that it's almost a desert. You know, it's so high and the uh, rain is uh, just enough to grow uh, some food, but with climate Clim uh, climate change, you know, you, you just reduce a few millimeters of water per year and a lot of uh, regions, they cannot grow any more uh, food. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's something that, you know, I never experienced because in Quebec, even though we have climate, some sort of climate change here uh, uh, and water scarcity at some places, you know, we still have a lot of water all around us and we can buy a truck of water and there's always a way to find a solution. But in these regions uh, that are isolated, uh, they, uh, if in the, you know, they are very much um, it's a fragile ecosystem the their chance to survive i mean it, yeah it's there's so many things that comes into my head at this moment <laughs> um, like the thing is that the people that lives there have been living there for centuries so so on one side you know i see that you know if there are some change in the climate this population might have problems to survive but at the same time they they survive in this ecosystem for centuries so i don't know which on which side i i uh, i can take it but um uh but yeah the, but my point there is that one thing that's for sure that in these regions where the future of agriculture is uncertain and the economic related to agriculture is also uncertain so the the people that want to go into farming are very few so i was very much concerned about what's the future of farming not just because of some climate change but just because uh, nobody wants to take over the farm of their parents or no or a few urban people wants to go and farm so I just wonder what's going to happen in these regions. Um, we have similar issues here in Canada, like about the, what's the place for young farmers uh, and what's the future of farming. And, and for other reasons, uh, we can be concerned of the future of farming as we know it nowadays uh, in the future. But yeah, so what... So did you find these people that were living at this higher elevation, did you notice anything different about them as people? Is in like, because I'm, I'm assuming that this higher elevation and then this higher difficulty of growing food would create a certain amount of adversity. Did you notice any kind of characteristics in the people around there that was consistent among them that you didn't see in other places? I mean, they have a resiliency for sure. Uh, but, you know, I spent a few weeks there, so my analysis of it short, but knowing that these people have been living in this type of climate for centuries. I mean, they have the ability to adapt themselves to uh, droughts and uh, uh, salty soils and uh, so yeah i mean they those people most of these people uh they don't have any sort of uh, like university uh degree but they because of the knowledge that was uh, passed from one generation to the other they they have a collective uh, uh they have a collective knowledge they built all together and this helped them to uh, uh still exist and farm and yeah yeah that's awesome well i guess more more on that question of all the places you went to did you notice any anything different with like how you were received? Like, was there a place that you went to that there was a ton of eager people
people to really, really want to know more of what you had to provide? And then was there a place where there was really not very much demand, I guess? Mm, well, I always always traveled because there was a demand for it. Uh, so I ended up in communities that ask uh, for these kinds of exchange. Uh, so it's not me that was traveling and knocking doors and mm -hmm. do you want to about, uh, I don't know, yeah. organic farming or vegetable production or it, it was always uh, integrated within a project uh, always uh, already rolling and usually i was just one little part a bigger project uh, so part yeah so yeah i never experienced bad uh, like reception that, that's good that's good yeah. with with technology recently there's all kinds of crazy things i see stuff on social media pop up all the time of people with i got a little bit of interest in this so on my feed pops up of people with like homesteads and sustainable farms and organic farms and whatever what is the latest technological thing the latest device that you have seen that solved a big problem or you thought was really cool or makes a big difference or anything like that technology um well at this moment i believe more into like social technology than uh, sophisticated uh, material technology. So yeah, yeah that's for working on the whole wiki and everything. That's yeah, kind of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Social innovation. I think it's much more powerful uh, than highly sophisticated materials because social innovation can spread out anywhere uh, it's low cost and it's based on human experience and um, and I will give you an example of that in a second. And compared to things like uh, artificial intelligence and highly demanding uh, uh, technology innovation that cannot be afforded by uh, most of the farmers on the earth. Uh, yeah, so um, so I, for sure some technology based on artificial intelligence are game changers, but uh, I don't know for how long and I don't know for how many people it is really uh, changing the, the life. Uh, compared to social innovation and I'll give you an example of uh, this kind of uh, like yeah of, of, of uh, social innovation like in Quebec within the cooperative we have a group called uh, auto construction committee so it's a group of farmer that together they meet and they uh, share about their needs uh, on their farm it can be material needs for example like uh, we all need this kind of machinery so we will design together a, uh, a plan of this this uh, object and we will build it together and we will uh, buy the uh, materials together so cost less and then we will meet to a workshop and the people that know how to weld will show to the other people that don't know much about it and so there's a, a lot of um, knowledge that is exchanging uh, during those kind of meetings and uh, at the end the people go to their farm with their own materials that is adapted to their situation and they know how to fix it later on and they know who, who they can call get some advice because they at the same time they were building the material they were building a network and a community and for me that's a kind that's a social innovation uh, that can spread out at different places. And for example, during the exchange we did with the people from Bolivia, uh, two people from Bolivia came after I went there and I went to visit farms in Quebec with them and they attended a big event of our cooperative and they got aware of the auto construction committee. And 
it was not me who told them that you have to watch this, you have to get interested in this. You know, I was just exposing them to different things. And when they came, they, when they went back to their country, uh, they did not bring any kind of uh, uh, material or material technology they, they found here because most of them were not adapted to their situation. But they brought the idea of uh, starting an auto construction committee. And they did not tell me about it. I, it was a surprise three months after looking on the social media. Uh, that they formed this group of auto construction for their own needs in their own situation. And uh, so that's one thing that really uh, amazed me of, of, these, of, the, yeah, of the power of exchanges and social innovation. Yeah, that's awesome. The, the power of communication, teaching, and the exchange of ideas. That's really, really cool. Yeah. The, when it comes to teaching and people getting their foot in the door, if someone was like, I, I want to start farming, is there any kind of like, do you recommend specific types of crops to try to grow first because they're easier? Uh, you mean on a like, uh, homestead base yeah or... yeah yeah like if you're gonna because most people don't have a bunch of land right most people are gonna just make some couple raised beds or not raised beds or whatever in on their property well i would say most of the crops are quite easy to grow uh, uh maybe but don't start with broccoli or cauliflower or corn i would say those three crops are uh, like sweet corn and broccoli and mm -hmm. cauliflowers are harder to uh to, to get it right yeah uh doesn't it mean that you cannot grow them well but to start with uh, all the other kinds like the, the leafy uh, vegetables and carrots or like, it depends also on the type of soil you have so if you have like we said heavy soils uh, before you get them better incorporated compost and green manure it might be harder to grow roots in these uh, like growing potatoes in a uh, clay soil can be hard but if you have a sandy soil growing uh, potatoes would be easy though it, it's not just about the crop but the context within this crop is, is grown. But as I said, the uh, cauliflower, broccoli, and sweet corn in any kind of soils can be a little bit harder. Uh, yeah, they need a lot of fertility, uh, for example. And also cauliflowers and broccoli, they can be um, attacked by a lot of different kind of uh, insects. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So with, your, I mean, sorry, I just wanted to say that if you do it for yourself, I mean, you just need to get experience. So there's not a lot of risk because it's not your, uh, you're not making a living out of it. So it's yeah. like when, when you start your life, try to walk, you try and you fall. And so do the same in the garden and just yeah. try any kind of stuff and have fun. And if you have fun, you will in the end succeed, you know, uh, because knowing things and have the motivation thing, it, two different things. It needs to go together to succeed. Uh, so just try to go things you like to eat and repeat it year after year and try to do yourself. That's the way to get yeah. better. Yeah, as with anything, right? Just keep practicing. If what well, so you with your teaching, did you teach any just kind of a yes or no here? Did you teach any kind of like history of like was that within your curriculum teaching like history of growing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One past or two. Okay, so I because I've thought about like GMO and um, genetic specific like like perpetuating a certain type of seed or whatever because like you can take a crop and you can go oh this one like had a big yield or it looked a certain way or something and you take the seed from that one and plant it and continue that process until you get a certain type and like there's this breeding process with fruit trees and apple trees and stuff to get these specific kinds of apples like for example my f my fiance and i we love cosmic crisp apples that's like a hybrid of empire and honey crisp i end up going on their website and find out that that's how it happened they 
took Empire and Honeycrisp apples and basically mated them. I don't know how the hell hell that works. But then I think about like watermelons. And if you look at a picture of a watermelon from years and years ago, they don't at all look like watermelons look like now, right? They have way more seeds and they got these weird swirly shapes and stuff. So how much of that is genetic modification and how much of these changes like apples are enormous compared to what they used to be, I believe, right? And so how much of it is genetic modification and how much of it is just breeding the right crops? Yeah. Uh, Well, the first thing I would say is that when you want to make GMO, it needs a lot of money to to create new varieties from genetic modification. Uh, There's a part in the laboratory and it involves a lot of people and uh, it's it's costly. So it means that you you will need a return on invest for uh, creating a GMO. And so, so far, most of the GMOs that have been done, created, it's for large uh, scale crops like corn and soybean, uh, some alfalfa too. Uh, They tried it on potatoes as far as vegetables and tomatoes because those are like largely grown crops. Um, But yeah, so far, uh, there are in like in quantity of varieties uh, compared what's possible uh, on the market um, it's a small amount of plants that are gmo at this moment because they need a large market to be to get the return on investment however in number of uh, area it, there are a lot there are big areas covered with gmo uh, for the same reason so the diversity is low but the area is uh, wide uh, with GMO, uh, yeah. But if you, for example, if you um, uh, if you do a garden at home and you buy seeds, uh, uh, vegetable seeds, like this is not a big market, like compared to uh, corn and, and beans. So I mean, the chance that you hit a GMO, uh, it's actually at this moment uh, very uh, small. Uh, yeah. So most of the crossings that are still done today are uh, through like just traditional crossing so if it's just about selection so if you have an apple that's a little bit bigger than the other so you will select this one and after a few um, uh, years uh, selecting always the biggest apple you will get a big apple variety uh, same that has been done for centuries before us uh, like just you select for the traits that you want to uh, uh, have and the color the shape the size uh, all of this most of it is uh, still done in a traditional way, I would say. And so you're basically just taking the apple that is the biggest apple and using the seeds from that apple specifically to grow the next tree. Yeah, that's one. That's one. Uh, that's the main way to produce. Uh, like you need this like sexual uh, reproduction across uh, traits together. So you need to reproduce using seeds. Uh, so actually, it happens in the flower. So mix the pollen. Uh, of one uh, individual that you want the traits with the female uh, flower of the other individual you you want to get the traits and you uh, you cross them uh, together so that's the basic uh, and that was my next question i i uh, germinated an apple seed like a couple years ago the tree's tiny still because it takes an eternity to grow a freaking apple tree and so i just have one apple tree in a pot and it's not going to yield apples then because i need to fertilize it right so how the hell does someone do that if they grow their own apple tree from a seed do you have to grow a male and grow a female 
or can you like buy pollen that you can sprinkle <laughs> you know what i mean like uh yeah i mean usually the people that do those crossing they have access uh to a large amount of uh, different individual individuals or like art big archer orchard i i don't i'm not i'm not an orchard <laughs> so if someone at home wanted to grow their own apple tree and they wanted to yield apples how would they go about fertilizing their apple tree? I mean, I mean, um, if you plant an apple tree at house at your at your in your garden, it will yield um, apples, even though there are not an apple tree next to it. Uh, there are all there is already some pollen in the. I mean, the pollen of the same tree can cross. Uh, with the flowers of the same tree so it, it depends on the plants some plants they can fertilize themselves yeah they uh, it, all there are different types of uh, categories of plants some that auto pollinize so the same uh, flower as the female and the male uh, organ and it auto fertilized <clears throat> and some needs uh, some plants on the same individual they have uh, male flower and female flowers, so it needs wind or insect to, to pollinate. And some plants are only female flowers, and they need a male uh, individual next to it. So that in that last case, when you buy these, these specific uh, uh, varieties or, or species, uh, they will tell you when buy them that you need a male and a female individual uh, if you want to have fruits or any kinds of uh, produce depending on the plants we're talking about. So the pollination uh, can happen different way uh, for different species. Like, like I, I don't know if it's... Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I never, I never knew that. That makes total sense. Yeah. So when it comes to growing your own things, I find the fruit trees most fascinating because, I mean, I eat a crap ton of fruit. Like, I eat so much fruit. I'm not really a big fan of vegetables. I like vegetables. I'll eat them. Like, I'll eat sweet potatoes and I'll eat broccoli and asparagus and green beans and stuff but i i eat apples and oranges every day in abundance and they just taste better if, if we're going to be honest right so and there's seems to be like a big challenge with growing fruit trees as opposed to growing zucchini yeah. and green beans and especially like the like the amount yield and the amount of space you need so when it comes to growing fruits there i mean you got berries like strawberries you can get a lot out of those but what what do you think is like the best approach to getting fruits over vegetables uh uh, can you can you repeat the that last part? What my my question is: If someone doesn't want to grow a bunch of greens, if they're like, I want a garden, but I don't care about vegetables, I want a bunch of fruit. What what is the best way to yield a bunch of fruit? Because like watermelons take up a ton of space. You can't just grow a bunch of watermelons. You would need a ridiculous amount of space for that, right? I believe. I'm not a total expert on that. So like, what would be the kind of the best yield or the best approach for a home garden fruit source? Uh, in terms of which species species to grow or yeah, or like what should you grow berries should you try melons should you i don't know like what 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 do you do <laughs> yeah well because uh, there's so much diversity in each case is different um like maybe three examples uh like for example if if you grow i mean you can have fruits that are 
like short perennials. Uh, you can have veg uh, fruits that are annuals. So for example, watermelon is annual. Strawberry would be a short perennial. Uh, manage as a short perennial. Then you can have a, a shrub like uh, uh, blueberry bushes. And then you can have a tree like uh, apple tree. Um, so like in each case, you have advantages and disadvantages. So for example, um, uh, like if you have a tree, it will stay there. You will have dedicate the space all the time to this tree for like many years. And if you have a sickness or insect that attack this tree, it will remain in the same spot compared to on the other side, you have the watermelon that you grow for just one season. If it doesn't work well in that corner of your garden, you can rotate the space mm -hmm. and change and re uh, do better the next year. Mm -hmm. So, so the short term fruits are more, uh, they forgive more uh, and it's less trouble uh, because you can always erase and uh, redo it uh, sometimes the same season. Well, watermelon is maybe too short, uh, but uh, for example, if you go with um, ground cherries you are you familiar with ground cherries ground it's, cherries yeah it's like like looks like tomatoes it's the same plant family or ground yeah ground cherries i said ground tomatoes or no you said ground, ground cherries. cherries yeah right. okay so yeah so it's kind of golden color and uh, it's big as a cherry tomato and uh, so this is an annual crop it, you grow it you grow it like a tomato and it gives a lot and a lot a lot of uh, ground cherry the, the same year for many weeks huh. so and and if you're if you want to change uh, the, the space where you grow it next year you can because it's annual crop so that that can be an example of uh, something that gives a lot of uh, yield i i don't know if a lot of tons but yeah. <laughs> it really it's, it grows like a big bush and you can harvest for for many uh, weeks that's awesome like, yeah that would be an example of uh, something that does not require uh, the same uh, needs as a, a tree yeah that's interesting i'll have to check out ground cherries, ground cherries uh, that's yeah. <laughs> that's awesome I, I, I have a stupid question. Uh, I like stupid questions. You're talking about this community of people and like learning together and sharing ideas to try and learn together more efficiently, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to me like farming has been happening for a while on the planet. We've, yeah. we've been doing it as humans for a while. It, I mean, it sounds stupid, but I kind of just sit here and think, what more is there to learn? How is there like they're just plants? Has it not been figured out yet? You know, like, uh, yeah, well, as I as we said that, like, the thing is that there are many ways you can grow the same plant and depending of your social and economic system, you will, the, the technique you use might change. And as a society uh, and as humanity, uh, the, the social, our so so societies are changing, moving years after years and also the environment around it, the context. Yeah. I, actually, I would resume it as the context is always changing. So the farmers are always adapting to a new context, sometimes year after year, sometimes decades after decades. Uh, so one big pressure on farmers is we always need to be more efficient to uh, uh, be economically viable. Uh, so even though we know how to grow tomatoes, it's always trying to find a way that will be more uh, uh, economic to, to uh, 
as well as keeping a good taste. And uh, so it's not just about economic, it needs to fit with the social habits of the people that buy the, the food. And because the needs of the people might change and the economy is changing or so it's continuous adaptation of the, of, of the farmer. Uh, we mentioned climate change. Um, uh, it's something that the farmers uh, uh, like have to find solutions to uh, try to uh, like four years of drought, for example, uh, or the opposite, four years of heavy rain that can happen after four years of drought because, as we said, the extremes are getting uh, farther apart. Um, so, so that's why we still need to communicate uh, as far as the, the knowledge, but we still need to communicate uh, to exchange motivation because uh, it can sometimes it's hard to do this uh, as a living. And um, so exchanging is not just about uh, finding the newest way of uh, growing tomatoes, but it's always, uh, it's also about uh, uh, feeling that we are doing something together and that we share the same struggles and the same uh, uh, joy too. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, that, ma that makes a lot more sense because yeah. I was like, I don't know, tomato's a tomato. You probably, <laughs> probably know how to grow that by now, but that's definitely uh, a lot more clarity. Well, we've been doing this for a while now here, Gigi, and uh, I appreciate your time, but I figure we should yeah. probably wrap it up by now. I'll ask you a question that I ask everyone. If you imagine the consciousness, this is way off topic of what we've been talking about, by the way. If you imagine <laughs> the consciousness as a little man inside your head, he's watching a computer screen, right? And that's what consciousness is. You, you know, a sticky note is, right? You used a sticky note, post-it note. Yeah. And, and some people put post-it notes on the side of their monitor to remind things if you could put write something on a post-it note that you just snap your fingers and it suddenly is in the consciousness of all people around the world all at once what would you write on that post-it note i would say interconnection uh because i feel that our society evolves with more and more individuality uh we take and uh but we for we tend to forget that uh we are all made of the same uh, substance in in sort of speak uh and that we are interconnected and the people in quebec and ontario are connected in a way and we're connected to the people in Burkina Faso and Bolivia and mm -hmm. we're connected through the climate we're connected through uh, economic exchange and but sometimes we forget about it and that my action that I'm doing today has an impact uh, uh, on a lot of people more than we can think. And uh, so uh, interconnection is about opening our minds and consciousness uh, and thinking of the, the, the planet as one thing and one humanity. Uh, and uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's really good. I think that's a good note to end on. Is there anything else you want to say to the listener before we end this? Well, thanks for your patience uh, listening to my rusty English. <laughs> And, uh, uh, and and yeah, if it happened that we cross paths one of these days, I uh, hope we can shake hands and uh, feel the interconnection. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. I love that. Is there anything that you want anyone to check out, like any social media or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, if, if people wants to go have a look to the Wiki Maraîcher, uh, we already gave the address. And yeah. my other project is the Odyssey Bio, the organic Odyssey, uh, about collecting the history, the 50 years of history of organic farming in Quebec. So that's the other project I'm working on these days. So how can people check that out? 
www.odyssey.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Gigi. We'll sign off here. Hey, you listening to this right now, you, yes, you, I appreciate that you've listened to it this far. That's awesome. And that means that you at least enjoyed it or else you would have stopped it and went and done something else. And it would be really cool if you could share it with someone. I'm sure you know somebody that might also enjoy it. So just, you know, hit the little share button and there'll be like a link you can copy and you can just text it to your BFF Jill. I don't know if you know a Jill. I don't know. Just somebody. Just share it with one person and I will be forever grateful. Thank you. Have a great day.